Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. It's great to see all of you. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Wow, what a question we have before us this morning. Why is life so unfair? I'm sure we've always, we've all asked that question of ourselves at one point or another. Let's take a look at what the scripture says in Genesis 3, beginning at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So if you could ask God absolutely any question you wanted to, what question would you ask him? Would you ask him, God, what's going to be in my Christmas boxes this year? Would you ask him like I would like to ask him right now, God, when is this cold ever going to end? Would you ask him maybe about something in the future like, who is my spouse going to be? Or, or how long will I live? Or something like that. You know, when that question is put out into large groups, there's one question that tends to get asked far, far more than any other question. And that is the question that we're taking up this morning. Why is life so unfair? Sometimes it gets asked in other forms. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why, God, do you allow X, Y, or Z to happen and don't seem to do anything about it. But it always comes back to basically this one question. In a world where we claim that there is a good God, a powerful God, a loving God, why is there so much evil that goes on and why is life still so unfair? See, that's really the logic, isn't it? And if you'll pull out your crosswalk notes, you can begin to, uh, to write in a couple of points I want you to go home with today. Really, the question begins with three other questions. It begins with the question, 
isn't God all-knowing? Isn't he aware of everything that's going on? And isn't God all-powerful? Doesn't the Bible tell us that, that he's able to do amazing things and that he can handle pretty much anything that comes along? So he should be able to prevent things from going wrong or certainly correct them after they have gone wrong because he's all-powerful. And isn't God completely loving? Doesn't he care about the things that go on in his world? The things that go on in my life and your life? So why then is there all this suffering in the world? Well, one possible answer is to say that God is a two out of three God. He's not a three out of three God. He's a two out of three God. In other words, we could say that, that yes, God is, um, God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. But maybe he's not as caring and as loving as, as we'd like to think. Maybe he could handle all these problems and he knows that they're going on. But sometimes he just says, you know what? I can't deal with all of this right now. I just have to set it all to the side and I'm not going to really care about it. Or, or worse, as some people think about a God that is all-knowing and all-powerful, he has all that power and all that knowledge and he kind of enjoys seeing the suffering that goes on in the world. Imagine a God like that, a God that is so powerful and so knowledgeable and is at the same time controlling, if not sadistic. How would you like to live in a world that had been created by a God that was all-knowing and all-powerful and either didn't care or only cared to see the suffering that goes on in our world? Other people will say, well, God's powerful and he's loving, but maybe he doesn't really know everything that's going on. Maybe he's kind of like uh, what the deists used to talk about, the watchmaker God who wound the world up and then kind of went someplace far away and isn't really paying much attention to the details of the world today. He's just letting the world sort of run on. This God probably wants to help us, but it might take a while for him to find his way to us to give us that help. This is kind of a God that has some blinders on. He's got vision problems. He's not really seeing everything that's going on. Is that the kind of God that the Bible talks about? Or maybe the two out of three is that God's loving and all-knowing. He's kind of um, impotent. He lacks the requisite power that he needs to really solve all these big issues and problems that we face in the world today. Hurricanes and earthquakes and plagues and, well, just evil in general kind of overwhelm this God. He just can't quite handle everything that the world has to dish out. Option three gives us a weak God. God who sees it all, a God who wants to help. He has the knowledge and he has the love. This doesn't have the power. And yet, when we look into the Bible, we see that 
none of those options, at least if we're going to accept what the Bible reveals about God, we're going to say that's what's really true, that's who God really is. None of those options really presents itself as a possibility. God can't be a two out of three God. The Bible tells us that that God is all-knowing. In fact, Peter, Peter said to Jesus after he was repenting of his sin of, of denying Christ, that Jesus could look right inside his heart. He said, Jesus, you know all things, all things. You know, for instance, Jesus, what's in my heart that I love you. Jesus himself says that he knows us down to the very number of hairs on our head. And all-powerful, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who rescued Daniel from a lion's den, the God who multiple times in the kingdom of Israel had battles come out the way he wanted them to without any help from human beings, the God who sent his son Jesus to become a man, true God, becoming true man, and then allowed his son to die, but raised him from the grave who defeated death itself, that kind of God has to be all-powerful. And loving, I don't think there's any doubt in our minds that a God who would sacrifice his very own son is a God who loves. And just look at the story of Jesus himself and how compassionate Jesus was. So what do we do with this unfairness thing? It can't be that we have a two out of three God. Well, others will will switch it over. Can't point to God. Maybe we need to point back to ourselves, to man, right? Maybe there's sort of a, a cosmic karma out there in the world. There was a big book two years ago written about this cosmic karma. You probably heard about it. It was a book called The Secret. And when you drill down into that book, basically the philosophy of that book was that everything bad that happens is something that you brought on yourself in some form or fashion. It's interesting because Jesus actually deals with that problem. He's uh, with his disciples one day and teaching them, and he's got a pretty big crowd of people around him, and they're people that start to ask him, about, um, about a group of people that Pontius Pilate had murdered, apparently on the temple grounds. The Bible says that their blood, the blood of these victims, was mixed with the blood of their sacrifices, meaning that somehow Pontius Pilate had sent his soldiers in to murder them while they were making their sacrifices. And Jesus says, did that happen because... They were worse sinners than all the other Galileans who come to Jerusalem to bring their offerings. Points to another example, an example of a place in Jerusalem where a tower had fallen over on 18 people. And he said, did that happen because those 18 people were worse sinners than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? And we think that Jesus is about to get to that place where he's going to answer, why do these things happen? And then he backs away from the question, the, the exact question of why do these things happen. He doesn't answer it. Instead, he turns it around on the people that are listening to him, and he says, 
No, it didn't happen because they were worse sinners. He does answer that part of it. It's not because it was some sort of cosmic karma coming back on them. He says, no, it wasn't because of that. And then he says, without answering why it really was happening, he says, but unless you too repent, you also will perish. The Bible answers part of the question really in the book of Job, doesn't it? Going all the way back to the Old Testament. Remember Job? Is there cosmic karma in the story of Job? Not at all, in fact. Job is this man that has been a very righteous man, a a man who follows God and, and encourages his whole family to follow God. And yet, one day, in the course of just one day, he finds out that his oxen have been killed, his, his donkeys have been killed, his camels have been killed. He, he, he goes, the story goes on to say his servants die, his children die. And last but not least, Job himself loses his own health, and he's sitting literally in dust and ashes, scraping sores. Now, Job's friends come, and they try to encourage Job to believe that it is cosmic karma. Why is this happening, Job? Job's friends say, you must have done something. You must have done something to deserve this. That's why this is happening. But you read through the entire story, get to the 41st, 42nd chapter, and Job has been asking God directly, why, God, why, why is this unfairness happening to me? I've tried to be a righteous man. I've tried to follow you with all my heart. And all this stuff has happened to me. Why, God, why? And God's answer? God's answer is, I'm not going to answer you. God's answer is, were you there when I created the, the earth? God's answer is, can you do the types of things that I can do, Job? God's answer to Job reminds me of an experience I had when I was six years old. I was walking through a a pine forest in Louisiana. Eastern Louisiana has a pretty big area of pine forests. My dad had taken me out squirrel hunting. And we'd been out most of the afternoon. I was tired and I was worried and... and, um, starting to get a little bit dark. The sun was going down, and so I started asking my dad a lot of questions about how he was going to get us back home. I was worried about whether he could get us back home. My dad, just so you know about me, my dad used to call me who, what, where, why, when, and how. I was a little bit inquisitive when I was a young boy. And so I kept peppering him with these questions. And my dad kept just saying this, trust me. We just trust me, I know how to get us home. I've, I've hunted this place many, many times. And I, and I really do know how to lead you back home. I'm not going to let you spend the night out here in the dark. You're going to get home. We're going to have a nice supper and everything will be okay. And I would just keep coming back at him with these questions. But how are you going to do it? What path are we going to take? How do you know and how can I know that you know? 
And finally, my dad said, do you realize that we're, we're not going to be able to shoot one squirrel if you keep talking like this? Just be quiet and trust me. I will get you home. See, that's really what God is saying to Job. Job wants all of his curiosity fulfilled and answered. Job wants to know, why has life been so unfair to me? The followers of Jesus want to know, were these people hurt and harmed? And even did they lose their life because of some sort of cosmic karma? Where is God in all of this? And bottom line, the answer is, I'm not going to tell you. Just trust me. Now, I don't know why God doesn't give us the answer to all of our curiosity. Open up your bulletin folder. Philip Yancey has one possible suggestion. And I put it in as the quote of the week. Right down at the bottom of the first page there. Maybe sometimes God keeps us in the dark about why, not so much because he wants to keep us in the dark as because he knows we are incapable of absorbing so much light. Maybe there's such a huge difference like there was between me and my dad in in the knowledge and what we're even capable of knowing. God just goes, I'll explain this to them later. I don't know. But here's the first point, one that I think in humility, we as Christians, people who, who, um, who obey and follow what God's word has to say, have to be willing to admit. And that is, we don't have all the answers to why there is so much unfairness in the world. Are we humble enough to admit that and just simply say, here's where we know we can stand firm. We can stand firm on what God has revealed in the Bible. And what God hasn't fully revealed to us in the Bible, well, we can't create a whole set of theories. If God simply says to Job, or if Jesus says to the people that he's teaching, I'm not going to fully explain that to you yet. There comes a point where we, in humility, have to step back from God and let God be God. And just simply say, okay, God, you're not going to explain all that to us. Maybe it's because I'm not capable of absorbing that much light yet but I'm just going to trust you to get me home. And that's our first point this morning. Humility compels us to confess we don't have all the answers. Take a look at what Job himself says in Job 42.3, right above that, flip back over to the front page. Look at what Job says after God says, were you there? Are you capable of doing the things? Job comes to that conclusion. He says, surely God, I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. And that's part of the answer to this question. There are things that we're not going to understand. There are things that are too wonderful for us to know. So humility compels us to confess we don't have all the answers to why life is unfair. Now, not having all the answers, however, doesn't mean that we don't have any of the answers. And the Bible does do a great job of telling us some of the answers as to why there is unfairness in the world. So let's turn back to Genesis chapter 3. And I want to point out something that happens 
in Genesis chapter 3 at the beginning of the chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must eat? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. God had warned them what would happen if they touched that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, who's the serpent? You know what the rest of the Bible tells us about this, don't you? We come to learn that this serpent is Satan, taking the form of a serpent, maybe possessing the body of a snake. I don't know exactly how it happened, but this is Satan. Look at what what Satan goes on to, to tell Eve. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. One of the first answers to the question, why is life so unfair, is to understand that in this world, there is a spiritual reality that goes beyond the physical reality. That there is a supernatural explanation to many things that are happening that you and I are not going to be able to establish by experimentation. We're not going to be able to create repeatable tests to show that these things happen. It's, It's something that we accept by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit working on us in the world, that there is something beyond what we physically experience with our five senses. Now, the Bible takes it one more step beyond that. It says that in this supernatural reality, there is a war going on. Literally a huge war going on. Between the forces of this angel, whom God created originally to be a good angel, one of his servants, but who rebelled against him, And now has the name Satan. And all those angels that rebelled with Satan, there's this war going on between Satan and his evil forces and God and his forces for good. There is truly a colossal cosmic battle between good and evil going on in the spiritual realms. When we experience things in the physical realms, Often we have to understand that those are the results many times of things going on behind the curtain, behind the veil in the spiritual realm that we can't see, many times we can't understand. But nevertheless, the Bible clearly tells us that much of the evil and much of the disaster that's going on in our world is a result of that war. Take a look at Ephesians Chapter 6, I I put this in your bulletin. Right under the bullet point, there's a spiritual war being waged in our unjust world. For our struggle, Paul writes to the Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood. How many times have we been treated unfairly by a co-worker, by a family member, by, by a dear friend? And we're treated unfairly, and Paul reminds the Ephesians, Your struggle really isn't against that person that you're lashing out at. 
Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are evil forces provoking us at times to be unfair to others. There are spiritual forces provoking our friends and our family and our neighbors at times to be unfair to us. All these things are going on, and Paul points it out here. And we see it clearly in Genesis chapter 3. In the physical reality, that was just a snake. But Moses clearly tells us it was more than a serpent. Satan was in that serpent, tempting Eve, causing her to think, I need to be like God. I need to know what God knows. I need to know both good and evil. And to ignore God's warning that if you eat that fruit, if you eat it, you're going to bring death into the world. There were spiritual forces at work in the Garden of Eden. And there are spiritual forces at work in our world today. And that is part of the explanation why we see so much unfairness in our world today. Now we go back to Genesis chapter 3. And look at what happens. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Cursed are you. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Definitely not the pleasant experience that God had originally designed childbearing and marriage to be. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now the environment is cursed. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Does this explain some of what we're experiencing in our world today? With pollution and hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes? Cursed is the ground because of you, God says, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your ground. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and there it is, and to dust you will return. Remember what God had said? For if you eat this fruit on the day that you eat it, you will surely die. You see, part of the, of the explanation here for why there is so much unfairness in the world is that sin's consequences and curses are at work in our world. Much of the injustice that's happening in this world is sin's consequences. And, and we see that not only in Genesis chapter 3, but read the whole book of Genesis. Throughout the entire book, there's a refrain. 
Each person's life is described, and at the very end, a very short phrase, and he died. And it's a refrain that plays itself out over and over again. And he died, and he died, and he died. And meanwhile, we get to hear stories of brother murdering brother. And brother deceiving brother. And mom and dad. And stories of brothers throwing their brother into a pit and selling him into slavery. I mean, the whole book is literally a litany of what happens when sins, curses, and consequences begin to spread their tentacles throughout the world. It becomes a complete description of unfairness. All you need to do is to read the book of Genesis to see it. Sin's consequences and curses are spreading throughout the world just the way God had tried to warn Adam and Eve that they would. On the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, don't we? Very simply put, for the wages of sin is death. When we look at the disasters and we look at the unfairness and we look at the suffering and the pain that's all around of us, around us, we have to understand that at least part of the explanation is that we are paying the wages of sin. Not in a sort of cosmic karma way. Remember Jesus said, it's not necessarily that the Galileans or those 18 who were crushed by the tower were more sinful than anybody else. It's just that sin has created an environment, a complete and total environment of death and injustice and unfairness, and that is the environment infected by sin that we all have to make our way about in. There's no way around it. It's here until God wipes this away and replaces it with his eternal kingdom of heaven. So there's your second answer, at least as far as the the Bible explains it, why there is so much injustice and unfairness and suffering. Number one, it's because of that cosmic war that's going on behind the scenes, behind the veil. And number two, it's because of the the curses and the consequences of sin in our world and our life. There's something we have to understand in the midst of all of that. God still cares deeply for all of us, for you and for me in, in this unjust world. He does. There's an interesting story about a time in uh, Matthew 14. If you've got your Bible, you might want to just open up to Matthew 14. Jesus himself is, is right in the middle of experiencing injustice. His cousin, his good friend, his forerunner, John the Baptist, has been murdered unfairly. You remember the story? John the Baptist is is taken by King Herod and and, and put in prison. And King Herod is is moving back and forth. Do I I, I hate having him preach that I've that I've married the wrong woman, because what he was doing was Herod had had killed his brother and then stolen his brother's wife. Talk about unfairness there, right? This is the world this is the ancient world that Jesus lived in, right? Where the king kills his brother so that he can have his brother's wife. And there's John the Baptist saying, Herod, what you did was was terrible. It was wrong. So Herod 
instead of listening to him, arrests him. But he's, he's ambivalent about what he should do with John the Baptist until one day his wife's daughter comes in, young lady, and she dances for Herod and all his friends. And however that dance played itself out, it was pretty pleasing to Herod's eye and to all Herod's buddies' eyes. So pleasing that Herod said, you know what, young lady, Salome, ask me for anything you want up to half my kingdom. It's yours. So Salome walks into the back room. She does a little consulting with her mom. And her mom says, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Salome goes out. She makes the request. Herod's trapped now. He can't go back on a promise he's made in front of all of his buddies. And so that's what happened. John the Baptist's head ends up on a silver platter. Is that fair? Is that justice? Jesus hears the report. And he, and he wants to, I'm sure, just mourn for a little while. Just think about what, what has happened to his dear friend, John the Baptist. And, uh, and this is how it's described in Matthew chapter 14. I'm reading at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, he just wants to get away for a little while, right? You think... If anything's fair, if anything's just and deserved, let Jesus get away and just mourn for a little while over his friend. But what happens? Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he can't even get away from the crowds. Not even for a moment, just to mourn the loss of his friend. Look what he does. He doesn't do what I might do. Would you people get out of here? He doesn't do that. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That's the kind of God we have. A God who has been right in the middle of unfairness. In fact, in one way, his whole life is about unfairness experiencing the unfairness of this world, which, which as God, he didn't have to do, but he willingly came down and did for your sake and for mine. Who unfairly was willing to allow himself to be mocked and beaten. And, and the curse of our sins placed on his shoulders and to be crucified. You see, that's what grace really is, isn't it? It's unfairness that flows the other way. It's, it's unfairness that flows in the way of love. That says, even though you haven't done one thing to deserve it, even though this is completely unjust and unfair, I'm going to love you anyway. And I'm going to sacrifice myself for you anyway. And I'm going to put myself in a position where I can even experience that unfairness at your hands to rescue you, to save you for eternity. That kind of unfairness comes about because Jesus didn't just have 
compassion on this large crowd. He has compassion on all of us. Our third little bullet point there is that God cares deeply for the hurting and the victimized in our unjust world. Now, we can't have all the answers. Humility actually requires us, compels us to to admit that. But honesty, based on faith and what the Bible tells us, honesty compels us to share that we do have some of the answers, and we need to share those. Here's our last point. In this world which admittedly is, is a mess at times, isn't it? I mean, have you watched some of the news the last few days? This thing that's going on in Mumbai or now is over, apparently, right? Our economy continues to roll out new wonders every day, right? I mean, you could go on and on, take the local news stories about things that are happening. There's an interesting... Uh, song by Coldplay called It's How You See the World. Have you ever heard this song by Coldplay? They put the world in a tin can, black market, contraband. And it hurt just a little bit when they sliced and packaged it in a long black trench coat, two hands around the throat. There's so much to be scared of, not much to make sense of. How did the clowns ever get control? If you hear, can you let me know? How can they invade it when it's so complicated? You know, you just want to get it right sometimes. It's how you see the world. How many times can you say you can't believe what you learn? It's how you see the world. Don't you worry yourself. You're not going to give up. There's something missing. Seems like there's nobody listening. If you're running in a circle, how can you be too careful? We don't want to be man-trapped. We don't want to be shrink-wrapped. We just want to get it right sometimes. Isn't that how we feel about life in an unfair, unjust world? We just want to get it right sometimes. Instead of things always seeming to be so filled with hurt and suffering and disaster. Well, Coldplay has a great description of what the world is about, but it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't. Jesus was sent in answer to a prophecy that was made already in the third chapter of Genesis Chapter 3. Did you hear it? Verse 15. The very first suggestion of some good news in this world where we wish we could just get it right sometimes. Here, Here it is. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He... And that he is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah. He will crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. That is the most beautiful passage 
in all these 11 verses that we've read this morning because it is the beginning of the solution to this world that is so unfair. It is the promise of Jesus Christ, the Savior. And and do you see God's compassion for these sinners already in this story? What does he do? Right after they've right after they've committed this sin. He notices that their clothing is not going to be adequate. They've sewed together some fig leaves. Basically just to cover up the tender parts. And God says, that's that's not going to be enough for you. And God literally with his own hand sews some clothing together for them before he sends them out into the world. And he sets up this whirling sword to protect them from getting back and confirming themselves in sin and death by getting to the tree of life. It's amazing the compassion that God has for sinners. And he still has it for us sinners today. Do you know that God is still sewing clothing for his people today? He takes every righteous thing that Jesus does, every act, and he treats it like a thread. And he weaves it all together until it's a beautiful robe that he can hang over your shoulders and my shoulders, the robe of his righteousness. And he says, look, you're sinful. I know that. You're guilty. Much of what's going on in the world is the collective result of all of our sins. But here, let me sew you a garment to protect you against all that sin and unfairness, the garment of Jesus' blood and righteousness. Take a look at what, what, um, what Paul says about that garment. I put it in your crosswalk notes. God made him who had no sin, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in God's eyes. Wearing that robe that he's sewn for us, we are now holy and righteous. And that's the first step to the answer to all this unfairness. Because now, living in that robe, we are equipped to go out and be part of the answer. And God wants you and me to be part of the answer to the unfairness in the world. You and I, we can bring justice to this world. We can be God's messengers to bring justice in an unjust world. Those same Corinthians that God, um, that God talked to, that, that God talked to through Paul and told them, look, I'm going to give you my righteousness. He also encouraged them, encourages them to be part of the answer. A few chapters after 2 Corinthians 5, he points out to them, they're, they're collecting this big offering for, for believers in Jerusalem points out to them their neighbors, the Macedonian. He says, look, we're getting together. We're putting together this offering. And and look at what the Macedonians did. Out of the most severe trial, Paul says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. See, charity compels us to care. We do have compassion and community to offer to others. Part of the answer to why is there so much injustice is not an answer of words or logic or defending God, in other words. Part of the answer to why there is so much injustice in the world is for us 
as people who wear that robe of righteousness to go out into the world and promote justice. That's what the people in Corinth were doing. They were collecting this offering from themselves so that they could give it to the poor Christians in Jerusalem who had less than they did. They were evening things out. Do we sometimes feel like we have to defend God when the question is raised about injustice in our world? Sometimes I think the best argument is just to kind of be quiet and to go out and to simply serve others in love. Let me close out with an example. There was a man named Steve. And Steve arrived home one day to find his house empty. Inside the house was only a note that told him to go and meet his family at the hospital. Steve knew something had to be horribly wrong. So he got back in his car and he rushed to the hospital. And he was greeted in the waiting room with the news that his father and brother had died in a horrible traffic accident. Beyond that, Steve's other brother was in critical condition with major brain damage, brain damage that would ultimately require that over a third of his brain be removed. Steve is a committed Christian, and he knows to trust God, but believe you me, he struggled with this. And he asked all the questions that any of us would ask. Why, God, is this happening to my family? People who want to follow you, people, people who have been faithful to you. Why is this happening to us? This seems so unfair. Steve um, continued to go to church, to hear God's word. But he will tell you today that the biggest thing that has kept him on track with God is the compassion and the community of his church. In fact, he's pretty adamant about saying, you know, the words are nice and, and, I, and I need to hear those simple truths from the scripture about how much God loves me. But when the people in my church literally gather around me, help take care of me, support me even when I'm down and depressed, that means so much to me. We know that God's words and promises are the things that grow faith. But we also need to know that one of the biggest things that will help people have their ears open to the gospel and God's words and promises is for us to, to live those words and promises out in our life, to, to be filled with compassion when others are going through pain. We can't always logic our way to that point. Sometimes we just have to live in community with people. And that's the final point that I, that I really want to make is when people are worried about the unfairness of this world, sometimes it's not a logical argument that's going to win the day. Sometimes it's just simple, pure charity, love, and community and compassion that will win the day and answer that question. Why is our world unfair? I wish I could tell you that I had all the answers. God hasn't chosen to give us all the answers. 
I hope that the answers that we do have are somewhat satisfying. Maybe some of you are sitting there today saying, I'm not really satisfied yet. And, and maybe to a certain degree, all of us will never be fully satisfied until we reach heaven and can have an eternity to have all of our, our questions answered. But know this, above all things, you have a compassionate God who loves you enough to endure sufferings and unfairness with you and for you. And as for me, that's going to have to be enough for now. And I hope it's enough for now for you. Let's take a look at our next steps in the crosswalk. This week, will you take some time out to thank God for his injustice in forgiving you of all of your sins by his grace? And will you show some injustice to others? I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, of course. By extending grace to people around you. Compassion and community, so important. And meditate on and memorize 2 Corinthians 5.21 and 8.2. Let's pray, and after we finish this prayer, we'll, we'll go right in and join one another in the Lord's Prayer as well. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you were willing to show us injustice and unfairness by loving us, by forgiving us, by sending your son for us. Lord, we know that we live in a painful and unjust world. There are people in this room today that are going through painful and unfair circumstances in their life. I ask you, Lord, to give them comfort. Let them know about your presence as they go through these things. Help them to see your love and your provision as they walk through the, the, the suffering in their life. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Wherever we have brought those pains and sufferings on ourselves, we ask for your forgiveness. And wherever that is just simply Satan and all his evil forces testing and tempting us, keep him away from us. Do not allow us to be led into temptation, Lord. Calm our minds and help us to be truly your instruments as we bring love and compassion into this unjust world. Lord, I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.